Welcome to the Partners in Digital Health Institute Startup and Early Career Incubator, where we empower members to amplify digital health solutions to drive more constructive dialogue to accelerate a new global health era. I'm Tori Sinai, founder and publisher at Partners in Digital Health, and excited to moderate our webinar featuring guest speakers Raphael Brown, CEO and founder at Symbol Zero, and Microsoft Regional Director, Silicon Valley, California, Mr. Charlie Northrup, CEO of Neurosciences, and Sweta Sneha, PhD, Executive Director and Healthcare Management Informatics. Professor of Information Systems, Coles College Business at Kennesaw University. Today our topic is, will the real metaverse please stand up? Thanks to the gaming industry and technologies such as AR and VR, where users are immersed in visual, auditory, and haptic sensors to virtually engage with others, the metaverse has been ignited by Web3 and blockchain tech facilitating ownership, online payments, traceability, data security, and more. Users can create and participate in real-world experiences that are redefining how we communicate and what we share to impact conditions and experiences around and with the world. So, how does this fit into healthcare? Let's listen now and learn more. So the first question is actually addressed to Charlie. So here it goes. For two machines or programs to collaborate, they need a common ontology for interoperability. The White House has issued a directive for zero trust architecture recently. Which organization do you think is mandated to create cross-border standards for a new hyper-connected world, given that that's what the metaverse promises? So Charlie, well, current, currently there's no one organization that has that as the mandate, right? So W3C is focused on the web, IETF, we checked with them, we checked with the IEEE, nobody mm -hmm. that we know of has the mandate to ensure interoperability across all the different ecosystems. Okay, uh, Rafael, do you, do you want to add something to it? Where do you think it's going to go if there is not one one standard organization that's going to handle it and if multiple organizations are going to come up with their own um, with their own merits with their own ideas on it um i i think that it is going to be multiple uh organizations uh for for the time being and i i think that we're um we're, we're fairly far from uh from having kind of the unity to, to uh to to have one organization do it um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, that both, I don't think that we fully understand um, what we need yet. I, I think that it's better to have the experimentation of, of competing standards. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and beyond that, um, I'm, I'm not really sure that we, we know who or what to have in that organization yet. Right. And, and given that we're in the phase of experimentation, uh, what do you think is going to be the role of collaborations with uh, with industry and academic research coming together to create those standards or a country or should it actually be international collaborations it goes to both of you well i think i think that you need an international collaboration here this once you start getting into 
um, cross ecosystem value. You know, the exchange, of, the trusted exchange of value across the ecosystems. That that should not be controlled by one government. It should be controlled by one bank or one corporation. So you you have to have some type of an international group. The same way that the web had the W3C in order mm-hmm. to set the standards, we're going to need an international um, standards organization to take this on. Okay. Um, Rafael? Um, yeah, so I, I think that I think that we see the beginnings of, of, of organizations that could do that, but I don't think that we're quite there yet. So an example would be, um, you know, OpenXR comes out of the, the, the Kronos um, uh, group. Uh, I think that that's a, a potential, but um, to to Charlie's point, it it does need to feel like it's um, it, it needs to feel like it's, it's international, and it probably needs to not only be let's say large tech companies. Um, there needs there need to be uh, different types of entities uh, in there, and I, I think that we're still trying to understand that balance between let's say. Um, uh, government-related organizations or um, nonprofits, um, let, let's say, versus tech companies versus others. Um, right. that, that we, we we need organizations that can help to shape this um, that don't always have profit at their core. Yeah, no, I, and that's a great segue for our next questions because we don't really have privacy policy and regulations for identity in the U.S. yet. And since you mentioned not having the control given to the large tech organization, do you think Congress really expects F- Facebook, Google, and Microsoft to write it? Because, um, you know, that would mean that if they're going to write it, then they're going to write it to make, make sure that it meets what their needs are and right. may or may not be, uh, you know, be cognizant of everyone else's. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's important given that there are uh, currently stronger uh, privacy laws in, in Europe than in the U.S. Um, that, that we are we're trying to learn uh, from, from GDPR, among other things. Uh, and while at the same time, um, because we don't have comprehensive and sometimes we have state uh, privacy laws, we have things like you know, within the span of, of the last few months of this year, there are uh, lawsuits that have been brought by both the states of, of Illinois and Texas against Facebook. Um, and so we're, we're reaching out and we're trying to sort of figure out how to deal with the privacy even of existing social media, never mind metaverse or, or, uh, or, or future identity needs. Um, but, but effectively, our approach is still very scattershot. And there's a lot of work that we need to do to, to build a more comprehensive um, privacy and uh, safety policy for the future. So. No, completely, completely agree. I mean, we're in it, we're in it in the infancy to say the least. Um, so Charlie, the next question goes to you. Um, and this is related to identity and trust and you know how machines can be deceitful or or not. So you know, when, and this has been happening in social media forever, but given the, the challenges and opportunities with Metaverse, if two machines meet each other for the first time, what is required? What do you think would be required for collaboration and solutions or outputs 
given that there could be um, challenges with identity and trust and how one could be deceitful to the other? Well, I think the, the first step is we need an identity model, right? Mm-hmm. And the identity model, um, it can't, in my opinion, it can't be dictated from the federal government level down. Your first identity in life is that of a gender neutral entity. You're just the baby. And then you get a hospital bracelet and you get a name and a gender mm-hmm. identity. And then you're registered in the county. So you're registered in the state first. And mm-hmm. people are much more comfortable with that than saying, I'm going to have an identity that's going to track me across everything. Uh, people just, I, I think people would not take well to that. But if you put mm-hmm. people in charge of their own identity and say, you have the right to decide what and with whom you're going to share, then right. I think that becomes really a much more powerful model. That's a thought, and um, hold on to that. Raphael, what do you make of IBM dumping Watson Health and going cloud? Where does that leave, or how will that impact AI in healthcare now? Because I am deeply passionate about AI in healthcare, and I, I feel like the opportunities and challenges with that sector is just beginning to unravel, and it can impact all of us in just myriad different ways. So, Rafael, the question is goes to you. Um, so I, I see that as part of a part of a, a larger issue, which is that um, uh, so I, I haven't impact I, I haven't worked directly with Watson Health, but I've I've worked with other parts of, of kind of the, the Watson AI ecosystem. <laughs> and uh, what I saw over about the last eight to ten years is was that IBM was was searching for use cases and searching for profits, um, and and it's it's unfortunate, but the 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 kind of painful reality is is that um, IBM built out some things that were using their cloud services, but they were trying to hit kind of specialized needs that they had targeted, and when they didn't get the range of clients, they mm-hmm. just started shutting that down, and and so. I, I see it as it, it's it's kind of the the necessity of working with a with a large corporation where they build out something useful, but if they don't see the return on it, then they'll pull back, and they may still offer elements of that in their cloud services, but effectively they go okay, we we can't justify this. It's it's not worth our, our time and effort. We'll pull back, and we'll let we'll let people access some of this but we may also deprecate things that you need because we can't make enough money quickly enough on them. Um, and, and, you know, th- th- this is unfortunately sometimes the, the usefulness and the, the danger, you know, the paradox of relying on a, a large corporation that they may set up something that you need and then they may walk away from it. Right, and that's the danger of uh, of giving the reins to the large corporations yeah. um, to define standards or to define uh, any any of the large ecosystems and how they should operate. And we can just have an the, an entire podcast on AI in healthcare because it's you know it impacts so many different different regions, starting from the social determinants of health and how data is collected in, um, in that aspect, because a lot of the data that's associated with, with managing AI, 
is skewed in more ways than one. So, uh, and I, you know, if I start going in that tangent, it's just going to take the whole podcast. So I'm not, I'm going to rein myself and not go in that tangent. Um, yeah, no, I, I will say that I, I used other aspects of, of, of Watson AI and, and they were fantastic, but most of those have fallen away because unlike Google, they didn't find a good way to monetize it. And when they didn't, and you know, to be fair, just like Google, when they can't monetize it, they kill it. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, you know, these are for-profit large tech organizations. That's yeah. what they're supposed to do. Um, moving on to Charlie. And so the two of the applications for Metaverse are immersive environments where providers and consumers engage for educational, assistive, or therapeutic purposes and digital twins. What other values do you think might surface, Charlie? And this well, is applicable to the healthcare environment. So what other things do you think will surface? I, I think that the, the first step in heading towards this immersive environment is that we first have to set up an infrastructure because there is no really good infrastructure. And if we think about the infrastructure and why it's important, it's really saying there's a whole bunch of little ecosystems that run independently inside the metaverse, right? And so I could have a whole city and within a city, I can have independent shops and they could be buying and selling things from each other. And, you know, that's, it, you're mimicking real life in the metaverse. And I think about it and go, wow, you know what? Our supply chain is a wreck right now. How about we just think about that? So if you're thinking about the supply chain, you have a bunch of independent ecosystems and they all need, the data has to be able to flow right through it. And mm -hmm. today the consumer is not part of that solution. Right? right, because you don't have access to the provenance of documentation and control. You can't prove the authenticity of anything in the supply chain because it's not, you're not a member. So if you think about it and say, let's create just, let's start with something simple. Let's create an infrastructure that we can allow independent entities to run their own ecosystems and have the exchange of value between them. Then we can start to accomplish things. Then you can apply it to a more Im immersive environment as technology catches up. Agreed, agreed. And, yeah, um, and it, you know, the next question, sort of builds onto it and goes to both of you. Um, because some would argue that metaverse will exacerbate health and inequities for devices, for device ownership, digital literacy, and internet accessibility. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Thoughts? Rafael, do you want to take, do you want to start first? Um, sure. So I, I think that a, a lot of it is kind of cart before the horse. Um, because when people are talking about the metaverse, they're assuming that more will be built than actually will be, and more is there than it actually is right now. And so mm -hmm. the, the main thing is that um, we got this first wave of, of, of VR and, and kind of AR um, in, in, in the last uh, 10 years, and we just started to connect those devices up. And um, the, the inequity that they're talking about is partially access to devices and the devices are still really early. Um, you know, we, we, we just are starting to get devices that are 
not painfully clunky, clunky, they're only slightly clunky. <laughs> um, and so the, the access to devices is yes, that the, you know, the devices are oftentimes still expensive. The AR devices, for example, are better for, let's say healthcare than, than the VR devices. Um, and, you know, they have narrow FOVs and they're still too heavy. Um, and uh, they're just starting to be the beginnings of a connected ecosystem that's really more kind of AR cloud or XR cloud than it is metaverse. And so the, the reality is, is that the devices are more developer and enterprise than consumer. And the access is going to be, does your uh, healthcare provider have the device? But we're still in such an early stage of developers selling across to enterprise and uh, platform selling, you know, hardware platform selling across to enterprise that it's not even a case yet of can the consumer have the funds to purchase the device? It's more a case of, did you stumble on the right early provider who's, who's using the device? Um, the metaverse is decades away and we're just trying to do connected cloud services on devices that are not painfully bad to use from, for an hour. You know, right right now, effectively, a headset is, is a thing where you go, okay, it's it's really cool at first, but then after you've worn it for 30 minutes, you're like, oh, I kind of want to take this off. And the enthusiasts among us are like, oh, it's, it's kind of great. And we deal with it, but no one really wants to wear it for a long period of time because they're not ready for that yet. And so, like, this is kind of the space that we're in where we're not even, we're not even yet we will eventually be to a space where we go, can you afford it? And is it on your health insurance? Um, or um, do you have one of these at home? And it's more a case of going, um, did you find a healthcare provider who's using these in an early test? Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's just really, really early. Yeah, and I think user experience, like you rightly pointed out, is going to become more and more, more and more to the center of how these developments are being done and being thought of. Uh, because 100% agreed, I will, will not want to walk with something like that all day long, <laughs> let alone for an hour. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you. We're, we're ten years away from that. Yes. In the meantime, I still think we need to focus on just simple infrastructure issues, right? I, I go back to that all the time because without the infrastructure, nothing really matters. You think yeah. about how hard it is today to get records from your endocrinologist over to your GP or any other specialist, right? So you go to a specialist and because of all the HIPAA requirements and laws, it makes it very, very difficult to transfer um, records around. And I'm going, it's an infrastructure problem. If I was represented in the digital world, I'd be able to simply say, take those records from there and move them over to here. It should be that easy. But the problem is that we aren't, we aren't members of that digital world, right? The web, in the web, you've never been a member of the web. You've never had an identity that works across domains. You don't have a home to put your stuff and you have no sense of uh, self-agency to automate things uh, to make your life easier right I mean, and that's the fun that's at the heart of it and that's definitely at fundamental and foundational to as we build these things up and that leads to the next question about 
what business models do you envision for the metaverse and will this fit into those currently evolving in healthcare goes to both of you whoever wants to so so i'll i'll jump in i mean i i think one of the, i think that as we look at this current web3 movement um a lot of that needs to die uh just to be frank um because a lot of that is focused on this notion of individual ownership and uh-huh. and 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 that that kind of feeds into like this get rich quick mentality and um the important thing for a future metaverse is that it is not based around a kind of ultra capitalist laissez faire you know libertarian notion of everyone is out to make money on everything because there are a lot of experiences and a lot of pieces of data that we do not want to make money on as our first priority because th- that that web3 approach in some cases is worse than the big tech approach um if they're all trying to make money mm-hmm. the big tech at least is trying to do it long term um a lot of the web3 folks are like how fast can we sell that um and and it's like no i don't want you to sell any of my data uh, mm-hmm. i don't want my data on the blockchain i want my data to be private i want to have control of my data um and the 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 problem is that a lot of consumer data um needs to be it may need to be more accessible um via some sort of cloud but it does not need to be open and accessible on the blockchain people do not need to be churning and mining through that data uh the data needs to be discrete and private and it needs to be shared from one provider to another um and there needs to be ways to go i have i a i have an identity and b this entity has access to my data and i give permission for this other entity to have access to my data so that they can compare and so that i can go and get treated from one place to another but in that no one else needs access to my data um th- this is kind of a core problem which is that um everything should not be out and and public and mm-hmm. i and this is part of where um you know there it's if the blockchain is involved in the metaverse it's much more likely to be distributed ledger than blockchain because it needs to be private where we go okay this corporation has something up on a cloud and a distributed ledger connects to this other cloud to bring mm-hmm. that across and none of it is ever public because most corporations and most individuals do not want their data to be made public because to the individuals it is the privacy of this is me and i don't want it exposed publicly whether it is purchase history or medical history or any number of other things and for corporations it is because they spent millions of dollars to aggregate that data um and so we've got to find ways to have data move around while keeping it private and blockchain is not it and metaverse may be a thing but before we get to the metaverse we've got to figure out that moving around of data. Charlie? Yeah, that goes right back to the infrastructure question. How do you how do you organize it? How do you hyper connect the world? And the only way that we can envision doing it is as a graph what we call the multidimensional graph of things that 
the unique part is take all the protocols, push them inside the graph. And once yeah. you push all the protocols into the graph, the web itself becomes just a thing inside the metaverse. The web is a thing. It's a resource inside the metaverse. It does not control the metaverse. That's the hardest thing for people to understand. But once you do, you realize that, oh, the blockchain, it's a protocol. There are things, push them into the graph. They don't control the graph. And so now you can build out a hyper-connected world where you're not starting with, you have to buy cryptocurrency in order to take part. And that's what we'd like. That's, that's been our, our struggle for many years was we don't want to force you to have to buy cryptocurrency in order to take part in this. Crypto is a thing inside the graph. It's not something that defines the graph. Right. And, and that distinction in, in the infrastructure and the, and the way these models have developed is, is not easy to grasp, like like no. said, Charlie. And, and, and also to create a system where you can distinguish between what the system is doing and what the infrastructure under it is, is, is going to be kind of important as we build the, the metaverse as we, as we speak of it. Um, and that, you know, leads me to the next question about blockchain. Rafael, uh, do you want to elaborate on your quote? And I, I quote you, if the Web3 NFT idiots moved out of the way and allowed developers to just work in blockchain, <laughs> then blockchain might actually show interesting results in the next 10 years. And yeah, <laughs> sure. My friend, but it was Sure. Um, yeah. So, so think of it this way, and and, and these are these are rough dates. Um, uh, cloud um, is kind of historically seen as started in two thousand three. It had really kind of been around there for, for a few years before, yeah. but AWS was founded in two thousand three. Um, cloud has been around, depending on how you count it, from nineteen to either twenty or twenty two years or so. Um, in in the same historical fashion, blockchain has been has been around for fourteen years. Um, they've been around almost the same amount of time. Cloud has done a lot more work. Uh, there are more features. There is more infrastructure set up in cloud, and that is big. And and that was evident in that there was about six years of basic setup, and then enterprise companies move, uh, were involved in that setup, but then they got to a point where they were making profit and there's very steady work and adoption because you see, you see that infrastructure phase um, on the graph and then you see, bam, 2009, three years after AWS, or sorry, six years after they've, they're making real profit and then Microsoft is chasing them and then Google is chasing them and IBM and the profit goes up and the features go up and the activity goes up and the security goes up. Um, in a comparable fashion, blockchain, after six years, it's not going up in the same way because, and, and the thing is, it's partially because it's, you know, it's trying to be a decentralized movement and um, people are making things, but it's also because there isn't the sense of profit um, which while it can be corrupting, can also be galvanizing. And so people are not creating things at, at the same pace, but 
in an interesting way, it's also because they are trying to find profit, but the profit, because it's decentralized, is all individually driven. It's not group driven in, in the same fashion. And so it's more boom and bust cycle. And so what you see in, in blockchain um, is you see that the distributed ledger folks are more quietly working and are, are doing kind of that work that needs to be done um, where they are, you know, like Hyperledger and others are, are growing, but they're working in tandem with corporations for particular needs. But the vast majority are going through this boom and bust cycle every four years. That's happened three times now. And, and the core problem is that they get distracted, that they go like, oh, you know, it's like it's NFTs now. It was ICOs before that is actually kind of an NFTs before that. But like NFTs and ICOs have both have had smaller bubbles. And I fully expect that four years from now, they'll have a new abbreviation and they'll be chasing a new thing. And they'll call it web six instead of web three. And they'll be selling something and then that will crash. Like the, the problem that I see is that the drive to make money on cryptocurrency keeps cutting off blockchain at the knees. And it's unfortunate because there's some really interesting ideas in there, mm -hmm. but they just start to make interesting features and then they get distracted. And they go into a phase where almost no work is actually done productively on the technology because they spend a year and a half going, how can we take this thing, freeze it, push it out to the masses and try to either use it to sell this particular abbreviation or just speculation on cryptocurrency in general. And that's the problem that I see is that cloud keeps growing because they have a longer term view blockchain plus crypto keeps getting short-circuited by the crypto because there's this drive for individual get-rich-quick schemes. And that slows down the ability for larger groups within that to work towards infrastructure and identity and a whole host of other things that they actually really need. And so my assessment is that in 14 years of growth, blockchain has done maybe three or four years and they're continuing to fall behind. And I just hope that they get out of that. <laughs> but right, part no, of I it. Sides on it. And because uh, a lot of times when people think of blockchain, they think of crypto. And the two terms have almost become synonymous with each other when they are really not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate your insights on that. Charlie, do you have I it's interesting, right, because people have different definitions of Web 1, Web 2, Web 3. My, my view was really simple. 1990, Web 1, it was wide open and free, no state, right? Web 2, all of a sudden, we added state. 1997, it turned it into an e-commerce platform. So Web 1, document sharing, Web 2, e-commerce. Web 2.5 was the smartphone apps because it disintermediated the need for the W3C um, having control over them. But then you go, well, what's Web 3? And what is Web 5? You know, the, the new Jack Dorsey Web 5. <laughs> what they're really trying to address without saying it is the fact that you're not a member of the web, right? Mm. You, you're not a member. You have no home, no identity. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to give you a blockchain and think of it exactly like a cart. And you can put the stuff you own onto the cart and then you can drag the cart into a website. 
And if the website supports that particular cart, then you can take the stuff off the cart and use it and put stuff on and drag it back out. But when you drag the cart into a website, if that particular domain does not support that cart, you have to leave your cart outside. Mm-hmm. So they're not addressing the fact that you're not a member. They're trying to address ownership of stuff, but they're not addressing the fact that you're not a member. Once you're a member and you have agency, a sense of, of self-agency, and you have a, a home to put your stuff in and take it with you, that's going to change everything because right. social media changes forever. Right? You no longer need the social media platforms that we know of today. They're, they're still they're good for a meeting place. And mm-hmm. I get that. But the idea that you need these social media platforms in order to communicate with your friends, that all changes. Talk to your agent. Your agent talks to everybody else. It simplifies right. it. Right, right, right. So going back to the fundamentals of ensuring the consumers are empowered and they have the right identity and agencies in these in these platforms, I think is going to is going to drive a lot of this forward. Um, so I want to wrap it up uh, by asking both of you, on a scale of one to five, what is your level of excitement on metaverse in healthcare? I know this is huge. This means the world to a lot of different um, organizations, uh, the providers, the payers, the, all of the different stakeholders in healthcare. Uh, but what is your level of excitement and what, what do you think is going, to be, is going to stick as we move forward in this realm? Rafael, do you want to take the first stab on it? Um, sure. So um, viewing Metaverse as the community, that we have now of, of people trying to make a difference mm-hmm. and the experiments and exemplars, the precursors and paragons to get to the metaverse. Um, I, I think that my level of excitement, so my level of excitement for that is very high. It's you know at the, at the top of the scale because I think that we, if we roll back, let's say um, loosely eight years, um, we had just the beginnings of, of, of hardware devices and, um, and, hard, and software protocol to connect to those hardware devices to, to do offline experiments. And now it feels like we have the ability to do experiments and early services with connected devices that we've been talking about for 10 years and we can finally start to do them. And, and, and they're still going to be early, but it's so incredibly important to map a path towards an actual metaverse to be able to go, I can put a headset on and you put a headset on and I'm the patient and you're the doctor and you, you can see what I'm seeing or you can see the context of what I'm seeing. Like just having a multi-user situation and potentially being able to record data for others allows us to have a to have different tiers of information and it allows us to start to structure that because when you just have one user looking at a thing and there's no understanding of that on the other side um, it's it's mostly entertainment um, yeah. you know it, it can be cool it can be it can be exciting but like we've gotten away you know like we've kicked off 360 video. It's like, oh, that's great. That's effectively flat. It's non-interactive. 
we are starting to have a thing where we can, to Charlie's point, we can even recognize agency at all. In order to recognize agency, um, on the game development side, we can recognize user or player agency when we go, I can project that in this experience, this is what the player needs to have. But in a social structure, agency needs to be recognized by the other party. And so we need to be able to set up multi-user environments where mm -hmm. people can recognize each other's agency for the first time in a virtual world with headsets on and where we can ideally have some amount of cloud connectivity to record what's going on and to be able to set up that, that agency is mm -hmm. connecting up to other things. And so we're still like putting the component pieces together to make that happen, but yeah. it's exciting because that allows us to actually fulfill even the most basic parts of the promise of when we go, what happens if you go into AR and, um, and you have a headset on and you're describing what, what you're feeling and the doctor can pull up a schematic and start to pull up diagnostics and overlay them onto you. And you can look at them and, and the doctor can go like, hey, how much pain are you feeling? And you go, it's about this much and it's right here. <clears throat> and the doctor can then, you know, like there's a visualization so of information that is powerful and it's spatial. And like, that's the core thing to think about is that like, there's a whole, like we're off in another world, but the right. most important thing right now is visualization of spatial information in 3D in real time in a connected way between right. users where they have different roles to play. And okay. that's incredibly exciting. Right. And so, you know, enabling interaction across users. So, you know, so you're, you're empowering the users of the, of the system as well as ensuring evidence-based medicine and taking yes. it in the, in the rural underserved regions of the world. Charlie, um, over to you, and then we will have a wrap. Thanks, Rafael. I, I have to agree with Rafael. I mean, there, there are some amazing things that we can see coming towards us and um, the ability to, to have, I mean, just tele, telemedicine by itself it has been a huge breakthrough for many people during the pandemic. Yeah. Right, yes. you don't have to go to the doctor's office all the time. Sometimes you can just do it right online, and and it's that level of interaction, being able to bring that across to uh, to to rural areas, to me is is that's top notch. Seeing that that we can actually achieve this, and so yeah, and I think that as, as all of this as it goes forward, though, again, it, we've got to be able to represent people. People need. A representation as a member so that they can automate the exchange of all that data that's being collected and being used uh, across specialists in in in, um, in, in telehealth. And, and, yeah. and we're going to get there. And it's going to be an exciting time. And I see more heart test kits coming out. That's yeah. I, I see that big time that there, people will be able to do very simple tests at home and the results can be made available to the doctors immediately instead of you having to drive somewhere in order to do that. So yeah, right. we're going to get there. No, uh, no, 100% we'll get there. And I think to me, that's what is most exciting to be able to, because so far patients have been one of the most underutilized resource in, in healthcare and to be able to empower them in, in a way that they can, that they can take care of themselves 
they can uh, they can they can actually be able to participate in simple diagnostics and the specialists are there to to really do what they were supposed to do and not get in the not not be utilized for simple things that really doesn't need them to intervene because we don't have resources in healthcare that can be allocated for those kind of things so i really really hope that metaverse in the next decade or so is going to bring that gap for us so yeah. thanks well, and- um, just, just, just to add on to what Charlie was saying really quickly, because yeah. you, you said something very important, which is telepresence. Um, one of the earliest things that we identified that uh, XR as a whole can be incredibly powerful with is crossing distances. And, and so like the, the, the notion that you can get um, expert and, and domain information is thousands of miles away from you. And that in order to do that, they need to have a spatial awareness of what is around you and of you, and you need to have that of them. And they need to potentially bring in other information into that visualization. That is incredibly powerful. It, 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 the biggest impact that I see of you know, XR cloud going towards a metaverse is to be able to bring healthcare providers uh, not just, hey, I can have this looked at while I'm at home, but it's I can talk to someone who I can't travel to quickly enough, um, and it would be prohibitive for them to travel to me or me to travel to them. Get you to the best person and have them able to not just communicate, but also assess and diagnose and you know ha- have someone overseeing a surgery who can't be there, but who can advise the surgeon, but they are halfway around the world. Uh, And that's going to be powerful because the the first part of the metaverse needs to be about bringing our world together. No, and and we're beginning to see the the early signs of that in education where we can bring in uh, multiple physicians from all over the world, actually educating people in one region of the world. And that is powerful enough to and then to bring in um, bring in actual diagnostics and treatments and specialists across the globe to be looking into the context. I think that could be that is exciting. So um, we'll be we'll be waiting for that to unfold and hopefully soon enough but thanks again gentlemen for making time and this has been exciting and this has been insightful thank you so much